Hey, this is Mark Altman of Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78. Available now by subscribing at TrexpertsPlus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. This episode features an exclusive freewheeling conversation about Battlestar Galactica 1978. By your command, here's a sneak peek. Let's do it. Okay, ready ready for the holiday special? Here we go. Ten best Galactica characters, starting with ten. Beryllian Noman at ten. (laughs) Okay, number nine. Number nine. Come on, who's number nine? Number nine is Cyrus Bellaby. No, she's not in the top ten. Come on. Sure he is. No, you know Lloyd Bachner from the Eastern Alliance. No, I hate I hate the <laughs> freaking Eastern from Alliance. The Eastern Alliance. The stupidest Dama, thing ever. I'm okay. I'm your white knight. Okay, come on. Number nine. Okay, it's it's, it's 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 Green Bean. Yeah. Ed Beagley Jr. Oh my Lieutenant god. Lieutenant Green yeah. Bean. As, uh, what was his name? Come on. Green, 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 Green Bean. Green Bean. Yeah. Green Bean? Green Bean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number eight. Sheba. No, Sarah Rush, the <laughs> Rigel. She's the one who goes, launch all Vipers. Okay, we're going to get to Sheba, right? Okay. So, okay, number so we, seven. Number seven is the Chief Ovion. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be the singers. It's love, love, No, love, they're love. higher up. Okay. Because well, <laughs> we're getting, now we're getting, because you got to have Countably in the top five. Yeah. You got to have Adama. Don't, don't tell me who we got to have. Starbuck, Sheba. Yeah. Right. What about yeah. Serena? What about Serena? Oh, Serena. Yeah. Yeah. And Apollo. You gotta have Jane Seymour. Apollo, yeah. maybe. Eh, I guess. Starbuck, uh, Imperious Leader. Yes. Tora, the computer. Baltar. Oh yeah. How can you, you got a Baltar? Baltar. Right? You gotta have Baltar. Baltar. Oh my God, this got to be a holiday well, special. We need more time. Wait, 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 wait. You guys, you've listed all of these names, and I haven't heard Janeway. What's going on here? You're funny. <laughs> what about the Daggett? You gotta have the Daggett. No, you don't. Muffy. No, you don't. No, you don't. Well, you gotta have Commander Kane. And you, oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta have, have Commander, Commander Kane. Kane. And you don't have to have Boxy. No, you don't. Oh. Yeah, no, you don't, don't need like that Boxy. Need, uh, Wesley Crusher. But you need Athena. You need Athena. You need Athena because we were all like uh, ten years old at the time. I, I didn't like Boxy ever. when I was on, but I think it was more like I was jealous that this kid like got to hang out on those sets and like be in that show. I, I didn't like that kid. And you no, were rooting against him in uh, Never Ending Story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like that he was the impetus for all these stories. Like he he hit he he um hit out on the on the shuttle so he he goes down to the gun on ice planet zero because he was hiding on the shuttle it's like he wanted on. to see smuffy wants to see snow yeah <laughs> oh, come on. Snow. <laughs> and then fire in the you know he's in the center of the action again and fire and fire in space it's like i don't well, like kind of wrote him out of the show by the second half though he, he well and athena also half. i love athena were, yeah. yeah well who didn't athena and serena were my two go-to babes Apparently Don Henley didn't love her enough. He didn't marry her. Oh, but uh, oh, oh, too soon. Yeah. Um, but uh, what else? Um, yeah. So I mean, you know, it's just like look at the way we talk about the show. It's almost like uh, Inglorious Galactic Spurts. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. But let's. But you know, there's a legacy here because. So subscribe today at trexpressplus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck Seventy Eight. Fire the rockets. Your five minutes are up, Captain. Surrender your ship or prepare to fight. I will not surrender my ship. Now, every weekend, Nickelodeon's beaming up the adventures of Star Trek. We are prepared to go to war if we have to. Ready, phasers. Phasers armed and ready, sir. Fire. We've got tribbles on the ship, Klingons in the quadrant. It can ruin your whole day, sir. Join Nickelodeon and the crew of the Starship Enterprise for Star Trek. Live long and prosper. Star Trek, every weekend on Nickelodeon. Trainees, to the briefing room. 
Welcome to the Trexperts Briefing Room. This week we're going to give you something a little different. Ordinarily we give you commentaries for episodes of Star Trek with the creators and creatives and sometimes diehard fans of the Star Trek franchise. But this week we are going to give you an audio recording of a panel Lisa Klink and myself appeared on for Virtual TrekCon. We were joined by Aaron Harvey and Rich Shepis to discuss their book, Star Trek, The Official Guide to the Star Trek Animated Series. So it's more of a general overview of that show. We get into many behind-the-scenes details and some inside trivia from their own book. Uh, we want to thank again the Virtual TrekCon for inviting us to be part of their convention. And if you want to see this panel or any others on video format, you can find it at Virtual TrekCon on YouTube. Hope you guys will enjoy this podcast, and next week we'll be back to our regular format. Hello, Virtual TrekCon. Welcome to the Trexperts Briefing Room, where industry professionals curate audio commentaries with the creators, creatives, and diehard fans of the Star Trek franchise. My name is Peter Holmstrom. I'm a screenwriter and author here in Los Angeles. I have a couple of Star Trek short stories that are appearing now in Star Trek Explorer magazine. And I'm Lisa Klink. I was a writer for Star Trek Voyager and Deep Space Nine, and I also have several stories in Star Trek Explorer magazine. For the last six years or so, Star Trek has been seeing a heyday of animation, whether it's uh, Lower Decks having a comedy series, Star Trek Prodigy seeing new elements of the Star Trek universe, or the rumored Star Trek uh, preschool series that they're working on right now. Animation allows for many new types of creatures and worlds to be shown that would be prohibited in uh, live action content. However, this is not to say there hasn't been other heydays of Star Trek animation, uh, my personal favorite being the Star Trek animated series from the 1970s. On today's show, we have the authors of Star Trek, the official guide to the Star Trek animated series, Aaron Harvey and Rich Shepis. Thanks for being here, guys. Hello. Hola. So, did you guys watch the original animated series when it aired? Uh, I remember, yeah, I was like three or four, so I, I started and then it reran in the 70s a lot, so I, I watched it then. It's pretty much the same with me. Was this your guys's, um, you know, kind of first on entree into the Star Trek world? You want to go, Rich? Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you know, I don't, I, I think I, I started watching um, Star Trek in a, a syndication with my mom, I, she's the one that got me into it, and then. You know, just getting up Saturday mornings with my brother and, you know, turning on the cartoons and, you know, seeing Star Trek on on television as, as, as an animated form. That was that was pretty cool. So I'd watch that, too. Um, but, yeah, it was it was um, I think it was the live action that I, I remember seeing first. And I had the uh, the Scotty Mego doll back in the day. So <laughs> I remember that him and my uh, Steve Austin Bionic Man would battle a lot. Who so. won? Scotty can fix uh, the bionic Scotty, man. of course, because he was a miracle worker. <laughs> yeah. He would take the bionic man apart easily. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, guys, I mean, um, I'd love to. I'd love to ask first, though, because like, um, uh, for me, growing up, like in the in the nineties, the animated series was always seen as kind of a, a I don't know. I don't want to say urban legend, but it was it was a bit of a holy grail in a ways for Star Trek fans. Like it existed. We knew it existed, but we also knew that Roddenberry had said like, ah, it's not really canon, whatever. And so like there wasn't even a listing for a while on Star Trek dot com about it. Right. It just sort of was this vague thing that happened. And then um, in the teens and, and especially with the release of the Blu-ray set, um, I think 2017 or so it really came back into the public consciousness and this coincided with your guys's book. Um, you talked to us a little bit about the early inception of this great coffee table book that absolutely everyone should go pick up right now. Well, it's funny. Cause um, you know, Aaron and I were both working on Trek movie and I remember uh, reaching out to Aaron. I was thinking, you know, like, all right, I would, you know, we, everybody wants to do a book. Everybody does, you know, especially involved with star Trek. And I was thinking like, all right, what's going to sell and looking at all the CBS stuff. And I, I was um, good friends, still good friends with Mike Johnson, who, um, you know, worked with John Van Sitters and wrote the comics. And now he's working with Star Trek online. And we were talking about it and what haven't they mined from the original series? And I, yep. I felt like it was the animated series. So my first, my first call was Aaron. And I was like, you know, Aaron, cause Aaron ran his podcast and, you know, he was, the animated series guy and i yeah. you know i was like and i loved his design work and i said aaron we got to do a book 
And, you know, we put um, Aaron's pitch, you know, I wrote the pitch and Aaron designed everything. And uh, which we learned you know, was Mike, not the norm, which was yeah, interesting. Mike said, like, uh, like yeah, ahead, you normally get like a piece of sorry, a piece of paper with like just a paragraph or two about what you want to write. And we had actually mocked up a chapter and wrote down like every all the basically the index and they're just like this is so well organized they were just totally baffled <laughs> so that was, <laughs> was kind of cool yeah i didn't I, I didn't think of any other way of doing it because it, you know it's such a visual book and yeah. uh john we sent the email and john responded within an hour and within an hour and i was like wow Whoa, you know this is pretty yeah. cool and then he, and then told he was us just like take up to 10 years <laughs> yeah it's like it could be it could be 10 days 10 weeks 10 10 years or whatever basically don't contact us we'll contact you and then he contacted <laughs> us like a beat later it was like a week something like that. uh it was actually i think it was like a, month? a little bit yeah it was a little bit longer yeah. but kevin but Toyama, very short <laughs> kevin toyama was an editor at weldon owen and he um called risa kessler who was she did the public, she does publications for um, CBS, Star Trek. And he said, what do you got for us? And, you know, it was a big push in discovery, understandably. And he wasn't really interested in discovery. And he says, what else? And she says, well, we have this project on the animated series. And he says, done. <laughs> and, you know, he reached out to Aaron and I. And Aaron, how long did we talk to Kevin the first time? A couple hours, wasn't it? Like we I just, think so. it was just like this. It was it started out with sort of the details. And then we just went into like a two hour conversation about the animated series and Star Trek in general. So I think it, we really gelled that way, too. So we we knew what they were looking for. They understood us. So I think it, it was really good to, to be able to do that. Yeah. And, then and he was just like, you know, congratulations, you're writing a book. Also, condolences, <laughs> you're writing a book. <laughs> like, like, all the the positive and negative that. things. Yeah, right. that was hilarious. <laughs> we uh. We got the approval right before Christmas of, um, oh, geez, what was it, 17, Aaron, 18? We, we, I'm sorry about that. The, we published in 19, so I think it was 18. Oh, sorry. It was like year. Okay, yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, it took um, Weldon Owen and CBS about seven months to agree on a contract. And we, were, yeah. we couldn't do anything. And we, like, we I should have, but we, we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to get we started. knew that it was going to be very work intensive once it actually started, because we knew this would be like the one shot to do a really good animated series book. So I wanted to make each chapter not exactly templated and stuff, which now in retrospect was a dumb idea because it was just really, <laughs> really difficult. But it turned out well. Um, so that was, you know, we just knew that, that there was just going to be a lot of groundwork, even not just the copy, but just everything putting it together. We yeah, all benefited it, from Aaron's pain. Just so you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it's such a great book. And I, I think it, it what's interesting to me about it is it's you're not just incorporating interviews with current, you know, people that worked on the show or, or current experts or whatever, but you're also incorporating a lot of the artwork from the show and a lot of like your own art, of course, but like there's elements. I imagine you must have been given pretty uh, uh, open access to some of the uh, CBS archives or something <laughs> like that. Uh, CBS themselves didn't have virtually anything. We, we uh, had a couple like slides that were scanned. Um, we went to Roddenberry and they had some stuff, but it was a pay to use it sort of thing. And we had no budget. We basically, it's like, you know, we're doing this book and it's like, okay. Right. We, there was a photo of uh, the original cast talk, uh, like recording or pretending to record at uh, <laughs> Filmation. And the LA Times wanted to charge us $500. We just didn't have $500 to drop on a photo. So yeah. it's not in the book. But uh, the, we found somebody who actually worked on the show, Bob Klein. And mm -hmm. we went, I, you were, we had you on, uh, I think, FaceTime, right, uh, Rich, when we did this? So yeah, we, I went, yeah, I went over to his garage and he mm -hmm. pulled out just boxes of stuff Amazing. and was just going through a table. We're just like, it was just it was like, oh, my gosh, this is the holy grail of, of all of this stuff. And so, I mean, you know, it was, without it was Bob amazing. Klein, without Bob Klein, there's no book. I wow. mean, because yeah. it's an animated series book. It has to be visual. You know, yeah, it, 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 it yeah. can't just be. You, know, you can text. do some screenshots, but that's only goes so far. Yeah, right. So, I mean, Bob Klein and then Fred Bronson without those yeah, two. And Fred was the publicist on the show. There really is. Oh, no yeah. Book. His his really articles. That, yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk, tell them about that? The uh, the ones that were probably never published. <laughs> you know, so Fred was um, the publicist for NBC at the time. 
and huge Star Trek fan. There's, you know, there was a lot of them out there that no one really knew. And when Fred heard that there was an animated series, you know, Saturday mornings, he treated it like a primetime show. He interviewed Matt Jeffries, he interviewed Gene, he interviewed Magil, interviewed Michelle, Margaret Harmon. And, you know, these multi-page press releases went out to the newspapers, you know, to run along with copy on the episodes and the show. Odds are, because it was a Saturday morning cartoon, no one probably ran any of those things. Mm. So it was a treasure trove that had never been seen. I mean, the interviews we have in the book probably were never seen. Um, and if they were, it was 45 years ago. So yeah, we were able to I mean, fill in a lot of gaps that we would not have had. Um, we had Matt Jeffries and talking it, about the drawing, the animated starship. I mean, like that's was crazy. Cause like, where are we going to find that otherwise? You know, it's yeah. just, it was very cool. Every, every time in the book where you see um, said in a 1973 interview, that is from Fred Bronson. So mm. just so you know, yeah. so you'll see that with a lot of the old um, castmates and cast members and things like that. Yeah. Did you it's find anything a... that really surprised you? Um, you know, it was interesting. I think the, uh, it was nice to see the Margaret Armin and Nichelle Nichols, um, interviews yeah. talking about Nichelle finally getting on the bridge. Uh, and it was just like, like Aaron said, the, uh, Matt Jeffries, even Gene, Gene was going on about how animation allowed them to do so many, especially, you know, 1970s yeah. television, uh, alien landscapes. He always wanted to do volcanoes. Lava. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was his thing. Like, as yeah. long as we have lava, it'll be great. You know, <laughs> like, okay. we have an underwater episode. We had Shatner's rock monsters in it. Um, yep. <laughs> and then, you know, characters like Eric's and Mares. Um, Mares, right. Um, so those things. And, and Gene was all about that. Um, he was very excited about those things. So that was cool because yeah. there really wasn't anything out there that had Gene, you know, and again, like, like you said, Peter, you know, there was all these urban legends around the show and, you know, Gene wasn't really high on promoting the animated series for whatever reason. Um, so there wasn't a lot of positive things out there by Gene. So this right. was we nice. knew later in life why that was, too, because basically right. he had his uh, what is it, Mazelish, his his uh, 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 lawyer kind of his whispering lawyer, in yeah. his ear that he wouldn't be taken seriously if he was connected with animation. Right. Um, so that and the fact that. Filmation was closing down, and at the same time, we had Larry Niven trying to do an RPG with the Kazinti. So they're just like, you know what? For right now, let's just not use animated series stuff because we don't want to get into that whole mess of like who owns what and anything. So right. that was taken as, oh, it's not canon. It's like, no, it's just right. just don't use it for a while. So I think a lot of things came together to become an urban legend that it just it was decanonized. Hmm. You know, even if Gene yeah. didn't like it, he still can't decanonize it. That's like not how canon works. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, he's, well, he's the, still he still cashed the paychecks. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. And so did his lawyer, who was that yeah, was one thing we did find at at Roddenberry. He got like fifteen hundred dollars for each episode or something. Oh my god. Back in seventy three. Yeah. We're like, wow. what? What did you do? <laughs> that's like that's like ten grand an episode today. That's uh, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Jeez. I think that what surprised me the most is that we did we learned how much involved dc fontana was and how yeah. little she was actually given credit for she would have been a showrunner today if that's what you know if they had that term then yeah so um, i wonder actually if you could talk a bit about like what in your research uh, a bit about the writing process for the show like what um not not for your book but for like the the writers on the show itself like right. what was it like to write on this animated series at the time because it was a very unique situation for a lot of these guys well a lot of them you know worked on the original series like david gerald and, you know, David went in length talking about how it was hard to adapt at first. Um, he was having really diff difficult, he was having difficulty adapting, especially with the beats um, and the different breaks. And, you know, you're writing, well, back then it was like 50, 52 minutes of a drama. And now it was down to like 28, 27 minutes. And he was struggling with it. And he said, you remember talking to, to Dorothy about it? And she said, just write Star Trek. And whatever that meant to him, it just clicked the light bulb and it, it worked for him then. Um, and, and also we had the writer's strike. The reason that we got all of these writers basically is that there was a writer's strike going on and their union allowed them to do one half hour animated script. So Dorothy hmm. just jumped on that and just contacted yeah. everybody that she knew that was you know, even vaguely involved with Star Trek or science fiction. So that's how we got Larry Niven. 
Yeah, because mm. they they weren't paid much, as I recall, because animation just didn't pay much at the time. And ordinarily, live action writers would have been like, no, no, no. I, yeah, gonna, exactly. You know, I need to be working on other things that pay much more. But because of the writer strike, they were like, sure. Because I think it was something like it was under two grand or something like that for an episode. Like it wasn't much money, was it? Yeah, I want to say like seventeen hundred or seventeen. Yeah, something two thousand. It, it ranged, but yeah, exactly. Um, well, Herb Solo, I, th I think it was Herb turned her down because it didn't pay that yeah. much. Yeah, he just wasn't interested in writing something for animation. Yeah, I know Gene Kuhn did too. Like he he definitely turned her down as well. Yeah. Um, for it reason. would be really interesting to see what that show would have been like had that writer strike not happened. Like, would yeah. it have just been like, okay, we're happy it's disappeared into the the darkness because it <laughs> was really bad or silly or who knows? It's just it's very interesting. Well, I you talk Gene a little bit in the. She may have worked a lot harder for those scripts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you talk briefly in the book about the early idea of the show from Filmation itself, which was mm -hmm. very different. Can you, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. We, we call it TAS 69 because it's just sort of like it was supposed to happen in 1969. It was going to run on Saturdays concurrent with the live action show. And it was basically Starfleet Academy. Um, mm. And each they they had... They were on a training ship called the Excalibur, and they were, I, I don't know if they were, if Kirk and all those people were on the Excalibur as well, or if they were going to be like flying together or something. But basically, they each had a child, a person that was attached to them that they were teaching. So, you know, Kirk had all American boy, whatever his name was. And, you know, <laughs> when, when this stuck out to us is, is that they had a Vulcan named Steve. We're like, yeah, that has to be wrong. <laughs> like, it has to be a placeholder, and somebody's just remembered it as like they just put it in there. But now it's just become, yeah, Steve the Vulcan. So we always like <laughs> to Eve. We put like a little yeah. dash in there somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> it it has yeah, the so S it was... before the before the name. So it obviously th there's that yeah. thing, right? Where like all Vulcans either have to start with an S or like end with a T or something like that. Right. T, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they had like a, a little fluffy creature thing because it's you know of course you have to and it was just it was very much a a what is it ploof or something like that i can't remember yeah uh it was very very much a kids kitty tv show and they were like yeah. no <laughs> we do not want to do that to star trek yeah. well i think what's so fascinating like about animation at the time and a lot of people forget this now but like you would have animated uh, versions of live action TV shows quite frequently through the 70s and the 80s. And um, where, ah, here we go. Yeah, there's a little the, bit of images right there for you. Is that Steve? Uh, no, that's that's the All-American Kirk. It's the All-American uh, guy, yeah. yeah so uh, for the uh, listeners out there, we're seeing, uh, Aaron's holding oh, yeah. up the book right now, and we're seeing some uh, rough sketches that were done for Filmation's pitch, I suppose, to to Roddenberry and CBS yeah. about the early... Um, Starfleet Academy one, but um, Lisa, do you remember this this day, these days in animation where like you'd get like the I don't know you'd always have like the live action um, animated shows like the Happy Days had an animated show and you know there's like a Gilligan's like the Island. The Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman also have them. They did. No, <laughs> no, I don't think they oh, ever did. No, no. Nope. Wow. The Brady remember, Kids um, were on. They had that. The I, I remember emer Emergency. I think had yep. an animated <laughs> show. <laughs> emergency plus four. Was funny. Oh yeah, which is, a, which is a hospital yeah. show. The, people, it's the, the a hospital for kids. Show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the kids ran around and like you know the the camping or something and helped somebody who fell down on the side of a hill and stuff like that. So it was like very. Yeah. In fact, there's I think there's a brief image of of that in um one of the episodes like eased on the screen in the background. And there was also mm -hmm. Lassie's Rescue Rangers, which was, they have, yes. you could see oh, Lassie right. and the two kids running, which is funny because that was an ABC show. I just realized that I was like, oh wait, why is that on there? Uh, today that wouldn't have happened, but they're in silhouette. So you can't really, you don't see detail, but yeah. That right, was of course, yeah. Like kind of the reuse of of stuff over various shows. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and like, uh, uh, what was the other one I was, I was yeah, there was literally a Gilgan's Island in space show, mm -hmm. which had yes. all of the original cast back. And the concept was just like, we're just in space now. That's it. <laughs> yeah, they, they they built a rocket to get off the island and it just went way too far. As you do. I mean, that's just the, way the Happy Days one was a time travel show. They had like a time traveling jukebox or something like that. It was oh just my like, God. Amazing. It looked like the TARDIS, actually. It was kind of funny. I just, I just love this because it's like, 
today all these actors like try to pause it like oh we care so much about content and the way our characters are and then in the you know this animated period it's like yeah sure we'll just time travel it's fine who cares oh, there was, uh, was like traveling space that was <laughs> yes. that were there yeah everybody was in space for a while yep that was great yeah um <laughs> So the show's in production at this point. I mean, it's uh, it's also though a very different kind of show. You're getting a lot of the original cast back. You, you, unfortunately, we couldn't get all the cast back. Walter Koenig um, was not asked to return, um, although he would be asked to return for um, uh, to write an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I wonder if you talk a bit about like your in your research about just kind of the the pr- production process of the show. Um, you yeah. know, as far as the, the voice cast goes, you know, they, they obviously everybody knows a story where, you know, they show up for the first day and it's Leonard and it's 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 uh, Shatner and DeForest and Jimmy doing Magil and Leonard gets there and he's like, Where, where's Joy and Nichelle, um, George and Nichelle, and, you know, we couldn't afford them. And he said, well, they're, they're Star Trek and if they're not doing it, I'm not doing it. And Fred Bronson was like, whoa, uh-oh, we don't have a show after all. And yeah. um, that's where the famous picture's taken, That that because they were there and he wanted to get get the picture in the paper. I guess they, he had press there that day. And, um, you know, if, I guess it was a few weeks, a month later, they they ended up securing him. And he just said that, you know, they're Star Trek, you know, African-American, Pan, uh, Asian-American, they really represent. And they were able to do more voices, too. Um, I'm still a little um, sour the fact that they didn't make it work for Walter. You know, they yeah. brought so many other speaking roles yeah. on. They probably wouldn't have had to pay him that much for an episode, you know, and they're drawing different characters anyway. You know, it's it's not like he, he was could have been on like a couple episodes. Even they could have done that where, you know, you see Eric's most of the time and then he's on. Yeah. Other so times. I just mm-hmm. thought it was disappointing from that. I mean, I get why they, you know, they, they had a reason to have a different, um, somebody at the, uh, the console and, and i i understand that completely but uh, yeah. i just thought it was a little bit of a rub just because you know he was the only one that didn't come back for that and um, ironically he wasn't was supposed to be in the 1969 version either because he was too young he would be a cadet himself so they're right. like no we're not going to have him and they're like wow this got shafted out of a show that didn't even happen you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be holding a, a toddler a baby you know a newborn <laughs> hey this is how you work the console <laughs> Well, so, I mean, I we know that in uh, Star Trek Phase Two, he came back as the chief security officer because well, we all know how that how that worked out, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he made such a career move after that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, when so you guys reviewed all the original the uh, animated series episodes, did you have a favorite? Uh, yeah no it's like everybody well i'm 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 self-selecting yesteryear out of that because that's the one that is really good that everybody loves so i think from (laughs) besides that the one thing that really stuck is like really star trek is one of our planets is missing because it's uh it's a giant space cloud it's you know we want to destroy it but is it you know sentient and everybody got something to do like lieutenant uhura helped build a a device to let Spock talk to the, you know, it's like, so everybody had like a little bit to do. You saw the inside of a nacelle for the first time, which is going to cool. But yeah, so for me, it's like, okay, this is Star Trek. So it might not be the most exciting or like fun, but to me, it's just like, oh, this encapsulated everything that that show was. For me, I I mean, I absolutely loved Magics and Megas too. Um, You know, because, you know, I learned, we learned the, you know, the whole idea of the pitch was God. And, you know, and, (laughs) And Gene God, always wanted to have God. And so, you know, NBC's like, whoa, we can't do God. We can't <laughs> insult anybody. But you can do the devil. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I just loved how they did that with, with the character of Lucifer. It, he wasn't the devil. He was just a troublemaker. He was like Loki the cat. He was just a trickster. <laughs> um, you know, and he had all these magic abilities. And then they tied in the, the people from Megas 2 into the Salem witch trials. And I just thought it was fascinating. And I loved that. And, um, you know, and just how, you know, at the, by the end of the episode, Kirk's fighting for Lucifer, you know, so he's, you know, in theory, he's fighting for the devil, but he's not really the devil. I mean, the, the whole right. idea of the devil was this, you know, I'm lonely. Misunderstanding. I'm yeah. yeah. And I, I thought that was classic Star Trek too, because, you know, it's, yeah. we defend, you know, just because he looks like that doesn't mean he's evil. And I, right. and I just love that about the show. 
and they still got calls from the Bible Belt. Um, not as many as they probably would have received yeah. if it was God, but still. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's that was, wonderful. It's fantastic. Um, I have to say, my, like, I think mine is probably like the beyond the farthest star, the very first episode. I just, I, what I love about that is just, you know, the original series is hampered so much just by budget you know and yeah. and just the limitations of live action at the time which is not their fault but then they did some wonderful stuff with that but then you get to this animated series and suddenly the entire world just explodes outward and you're getting this like ship that's you know millions of years old and it's this massive that was amazing ship hit. it's just yeah. so beautiful and you're just like good god this is awesome and you're seeing a scope and and so many of those like the the you know the plates and the the way that the backgrounds all look it's like suddenly this is a huge world and you get that awe of star trek yeah. that in many ways in the original series is always kind of left to your own imagination like yeah. they're talking about all these wondrous things and you're kind of just left to think about them yourself and there's a logic to that and a really cool element to that but um the animated series just completely explodes stuff outward in such a wonderful way and it's classic star trek yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a classic Star Trek story. It's like, and yeah. so lonely. I know. So it kills yeah. you. It kills oh, you at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, goodbye. Yeah. That, that's, they need to, like, <laughs> like Lower Decks needs to come back to that or something. <laughs> just, yeah. like, yeah. revisit them. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, so it would and be there's fun a, to do a crossover. It would, it would be. be. Yeah. That would yeah. be fun. We, we, we've, we've figured, tried to pitch it basically. So I don't think it can happen. Um, unfortunately, we are not yes. part of any writer's guild or anything like that. So we, uh, we don't have any power. Um, but there's also the one, uh, Lisa and Peter, for that. Lisa, Peter, get on that. Okay. You guys, you know, um, yeah, no, no one, no one's called me yet. So it's <laughs> Lisa's. The oh, one yeah. They, they, they ask me all the time, what should we yes. be doing with Star Trek, Lisa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You had um, your little well, hotline phone, right? With one with the red phone, like the Batman yes. phone. Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> There's a even a, a background story about the the ship really quickly is that Gene gave no direction on what it was supposed to look like. And it started out uh, as a older Starfleet ship and it just kept changing and changing. And he would finally he's like, oh, make it organic. And it's like, OK, that would have been helpful, you know, 500 <laughs> iterations ago. But all of those ships that he worked on ended up in the time trap. It's all those things right. that are floating around in the in the the graveyard of ships, basically. So, that well, was, and that that, cool. that that does bring me to another question because, like, um, what I think is really interesting about the animated series and live action, I guess, too, at the time, but like they would over uh, produce, I guess, is the best way to say it. They would like, as you say, they would do many ship designs, but also like in researching my own uh, nonfiction book on Star Trek, which is getting a new release uh, this spring. Um, it's a nice. uh, the um the uh there would be even more scripts written than were being mm -hmm. produced and like season two famously has six episodes that were um kind of leftovers so to speak um and uh and i know like larry niven had written like three other scripts that were rejected or at least three other story treatments or things like that yeah um it's i wonder if in your own research some of, you, some of them were so dark <laughs> so yeah oh. i want to see all of them um yeah. but uh <laughs> I wonder if you could just, did in your research did you come across any other any other story ideas that were uh, ultimately rejected? I don't well, remember. I think, in, it, it I was... think in the Roddenberry archives we probably did, but it was it they literally just had boxes that they were starting to organize. So I was seeing stuff from 1973, 75, 76. I'm like, this isn't even part of the animated series. I sort of helped them shuffle things out. Like this doesn't belong here. This doesn't belong here. Um, so. We may have, but it was really hard to tell if it was like a component of some other story or, yeah. you know, there was there was no like, oh, big script. You know, we right. there's a couple of times we were like, I don't know this title. Maybe that's for something. And I, I know we came across one of them on later got revealed. Um, the Roddenberry Archives published it a couple of years ago. Um, I can't remember the title off the top of my head. But so, yes, yeah, so there were there are a couple. And I think they've actually may have found another one. So it's kind of interesting. But those yeah, it was they didn't catalog anything, and they didn't, there was there was no organizational like it's it was that's hard. If Bob didn't di exist, we wouldn't know anything. <laughs> it, it was difficult for us because you know our window was so short to actually sure. be be allowed to to, yeah. to do research and produce. So there was a really big focus on what could we get, what could we verify. Yeah. So and there was only so many people around that could speak to the show, 
Unfortunately, um, we lost two people who had passed away while we were waiting for the contract to be signed. So it's like, Which, you know, we, yeah. we couldn't even interview them because we, we weren't allowed to talk about the book. We weren't allowed to do any of those things. So, yeah, um, you know, a lot of it was lost to time, unfortunately. But, you know, it's cool that, you know, Roddenberry and probably other places are unearthing some of those things. I mean, Gene yeah. and Major were notorious for grabbing everything. You know, yeah. it was a time where people and that's, you know, part of the difficulty with with Roddenberry and CBS and the animated series is just, you know, okay, they have it. Technically it's CBS. CBS probably doesn't want to fight it. It's just not worth it. And, you know, yeah, it's one, unfortunately why we couldn't really use it for the book. And there's other yeah. stuff in the book that we want. We wanted to do the thing with the novels and talk about the novelizations sure. and how they were different from, you know, and there's some really wacky changes in some of them because they didn't have the scripts to start with. They only had like a, basically a, a, description of what was going on and then they mm -hmm. sort of retrofitted it later with some of the dialogue um but we just didn't have room and you know like we were sure. given specific size so i've had people it's like well this is a great book but you seem to have forgotten blah 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 i'm like no we didn't forget <laughs> it we just couldn't put it in there you know we Absolutely. tended to try to focus you know mostly on what we on the show itself and For what sure. was there and try to reference some certain things um but because of the space um because you know it's again it's a visual book so we needed to make sure that there was enough opportunities to put those things in. And, you know, it's an animated show because you, you want to see those concept drawings. You want to see those mm -hmm. um, ideas that came from fruition, um, from, you know, idea to fruition. So, yeah, there are certain things you have to just sort of cut. I mean, one of the biggest, um, I, and I, I tend to not really pay attention to the feedback from, just because everybody's got something to say well, about yeah. stuff. And, I really, but that was one, just one person I noticed. <laughs> yeah. One person, I think, you know, Aaron drew my attention and I looked at it and they were critical of the fact that we didn't interview any of the voice cast. I mean, the main actors. And I, that was our biggest regret. I mean, we we yeah. really wanted to talk to to Bill Shatner, but, you know, CBS said, hey guys, there's no money. He's going to yeah. charge it. And, yeah. you know, the only yeah. thing that, um, you know, out of and pocket. Michelle, unfortunately, she was at that point there wasn't much memory for her to talk about. So, yeah. We didn't, and yeah. we didn't really know what we could depend on, you know, because yeah. then it comes a case where she's misremembering things and then right. you're getting attacked or she's getting attacked for that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we went with, that's why I was fortunate that, you know, Fred Bronson's uh, press releases had some quotes from the show. Um, yeah. You know, I think George had a very mixed um, recollection, didn't really enjoy his time doing the animated show. And so we, you know, and he probably would have charged this as well. And yeah. the only, you know, expense wise, we, uh, we offer, we actually pulled some of the money we were making and offered DC to write the forward. Um, mm. But for whatever reason, and I think, you know, she was probably ill at that time. Um, she wasn't really able to commit to it and which, which we respected. We understood, yeah. um, you know, and even the interview we did with but her. She was did right. Write, yeah. As I, yeah. Right, she, right. You know, and, and there were great responses, well thought out. Um, you know, you lose a little bit of the magic when you're 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 talking one to one, um, you know, either via the phone or, or video. But that it was still so informative. Um, you know, Aaron paid for money out of his pocket to it was what the Ted Knight picture, yeah, and a couple other things. Um, yeah. You know, we sent copies of the book to everybody that we interviewed as a thank you. Um, that came out of pocket. So, you know, we did spend some money. We, we put it where we thought it was best used. And not yeah. that it wouldn't have been awesome to talk to William Shatner and George Takei uh, and Nichelle Nichols. Yeah. It just there just wasn't enough there to do it. And I don't know. It, I, I You know, as much as we got I don't paid, that but that didn't really, we kind of was still at a loss in some ways. And sure. I think CBS even saw it the same way. It's like, you know, sure. we're doing this book for the love of the series, not necessarily to make a boatload of cash, so, right. yeah. which was nice that they actually still did it. Yeah. So I don't think that we lost anything by not having them in, you know, in the book. I, I, I don't know what they could have added differently. Um, we've got some really great stories from, you know, from Bill S William Simpson, um, when oh, yeah. he was um, recording Young Spock, which was just awesome. Um, some of the surviving writers, um, um, Larry Niven, who had director just, from you know, second season. You know, so it'd been interesting what we would have had to cut out if we got, you know, yeah. William Shatner talking about it, which I'm sure he would have given us. A, I think those little a lot stories actually help make what yeah. like 
what the show was like oh i see where that came from and this is this is that little bit okay as opposed to like yes i came into the studio and recorded or i recorded on the road you know it's like a generic sort of cast you know question uh, response or something yeah it wasn't yeah, like mean, their experiences on the original series where right. you know they yeah. would sit down and rework the script with the writers and gene and things like that so there wasn't as much of that kind of process for those for those gentlemen to and and michelle to do and walter was not happy with the, the revision process with gene anyway that right. was hilarious yeah, yeah. he's just like that almost ended my writing career at the same time right. it started it yeah right. yeah and, and, you know i mean i think for uh people can can sometimes forget too that like you know these actors i mean this was a long time ago now and and for these actors yeah. they they were doing many other things at the time um you remember what you were doing 50 years ago and on a tuesday or whatever it's like yeah no it's like <laughs> yeah no it's like i don't even remember what i did last week and it's just right? like it's uh the uh for them this was a this was a job uh many of them mm -hmm. recorded very quickly uh there's the, mm -hmm. i think the famous story of shatner literally recording a, a captain's log when he was in his car on like a on like eight track <laughs> yeah. or something like it was very you know they were just fitting it in when they when they could I think they mailed them like tape decks and stuff like that for yeah. them to use on the road yeah well there's the um, one episode i don't remember which one it was but you can the voice volume the volume of his captain's log to start the episode and then the right you could tell it was done was somewhere the incident I, I don't remember i think it might have been yeah. it's been so long since I, i've been watching yeah. um but it was just funny like you okay that's where he was in a closet or in a car yeah. <laughs> or somewhere weird and they had a which is hilarious because lower decks they they've recorded all of their stuff in closets and stuff for a while because it's because of the pandemic but right. of course yeah. the technology now is just completely different yeah yeah i have to imagine too all the because they would release trailers for their new episodes and yet chatner and in, in those always sounds very like i imagine those were the on the on the run recordings as well because they just sound a little yeah. a little less little less uh polished than some of the other ones um, it's kind of interesting. I think when we look back, it's it, it's not so much an acting job for them. It's almost like they're doing marketing. It's like, OK, yeah. we have to keep Star Trek going. So we're going to read these things and now we're done. And it's almost like a commercial. So yeah. I, I think that was well, kind of that was Roddenberry's uh, justification for it at the time, wasn't it? Is that like we want a yeah. movie. We want a live action show back. This is a way to keep the public interested. And it's interesting to hear about how all the actors, too, were, were very engaged with Star Trek publicity for years after the show ended, um, which today you're just like, that sounds funny, you know, <laughs> like, but these yeah. guys were just going all over the country just to, to go to like local stations and, and promote Star Trek. Yeah. Which is I met Nichelle Nichols at a furniture store. <laughs> when she was, when it was a brand new furniture store opening I'm like wow that really does happen because you see that in, in tv right. shows where somebody's in like a shopping mall or something it's like it yeah it galaxy happen. quest yeah <laughs> right <laughs> totally oh that's amazing so what um, was the uh initial uh critical response to the animated show was it popular <laughs> um well before right before it came out when they were showing stuff at conventions it was mostly positive but then there's like it's the, essentially today. It's like had mm -hmm. somebody was running with ads in a newspaper to stop the animated series because it wasn't real Star Trek. And they would it would damage the ability for them to have a new TV show or a movie because it's it would ruin the reputation of Star Trek. And right. some people were just, you know, they, they had they were handing out uh, petitions to sign to like stop it. But then you had the people who were just really in love with it and started doing fanzines. And I think once it came out, people kind of calmed down because it wasn't like a kid's show. It was more of a Star Trek. All I mean, ages. They, yeah. 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 They did Star Trek. I mean, there was it was all ages, but a lot of it was, you know, it was heavy content. And when I mean heavy, it's just kids had to think. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, you have a death yeah. of a pet on a, on a Saturday morning show. It's like that wouldn't normally happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was interesting with those kind of um, ideas. And I mean, the, the mud episode, that, oh, that yeah. to me is still crazy that that got done. I mean, it's a lot. You know, she's drugging Spock. It's, you know, <laughs> two episodes earlier, they, they have Uhura taking charge of the away team and going down to the plant, the Lorelei signal and and getting the, the men out. And then two episodes later, you know, they've got Majel, um, a Chapel drugging Spock and to make him love her. And, you know, this everything they do is demeaning women. So it's just like all the progress they made, they just threw out the window. So that was that was pretty hilarious. And that was like it was really the only one that I think was glaring. And I think they had another it was another one where there was a little flirtation between 
Spock, I'm not Spock, Kirk and an alien. Um, So, I mean, other than that, other than that, I mean, it was just, it was tight Star Trek. I mean, I I think in some ways the animation series, especially the third season was stronger. Um, The stories were stronger and it was, you know, you didn't have like extraneous things. Everything had, you, you had to keep it moving and it had, everything had to have a purpose. You know, the devil was in the details. Um, So that was really cool. And I think, you know, fans understood, fans realized that this is Star Trek. You know, we're getting the same writers, you know, DC's running it. George, not George, uh, Gene's involved in it. We got the the voice actors, you know, so we're we're not ready. You know, Filmation, you know, has that, you know, something like Gilligan's Island in space, Um, you know, (laughs) uh, the Brady Kids cartoon. So there were so many goofy things that it's understandable if fans probably got scared in the beginning. Um, But I mean, remember Next Generation also received a lot of the pushback. Yeah, 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 it did. You know um the local radio station doesn't have spock it doesn't have me uh yeah uh, there's a local radio station in philadelphia and i remembered the one disc jockey in the morning show just spent the whole episode railing against the fact that picard was bald wait we haven't heard baldness in the future and it was you know this is philadelphia so you you think like okay we're a little bit more advanced than that no 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 it was hilarious so you know and obviously next gen took a little bit to find its legs and thank goodness it, it was able to but um yeah the animated series hit this hit the ground running it's like you said peter like that first episode um and you got to see so much more than you could have at that time in television production yeah 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 speaking of which about the response to the new characters to like eric and um what was the cat the cat's name again thank you they i think people really like those characters i mean especially the cation especially i think she kind of inspired a lot of uh more fan fiction and and we saw occasions throughout live action star trek going forward into the future so mm-hmm. i mean obviously eric's is cool but he would be very hard to do up until now yes. so it'd be cool if we saw him in the like, strange new worlds or something like that because they're very long-lived species too so well and even that race that would be cool yeah yeah bob klein's story about um doing eric's is great because he got to draw one of them and he got to draw eric's and he just he was so excited about that um, to be able to draw this alien creature with a third limb coming out of its chest and, you know, a third um, appendix from the back. And it, it was just, and that was like, for me, a lot of the joy of, of writing yeah. the book was, was listening to those stories and how excited they, and that enthusiasm 45 years later was still coming out. You know, Bob was a big Star Trek fan too. I mean, you know, it was part of the problem with Beyond the Farthest Star. Yeah. You know, he's thinking Star Trek, you know, nacelles, has to look like a Federation ship. You know, and Gene's never saying anything until like, you know, three years later. Oh, it's got to be organic. Um, <laughs> and Fred Bronson, the, 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 I love, I still love the Moviola story where he's going to watch it with standards and practices. He'd watch it on the Moviola, you know, before it aired, just so S&P could take a look, make sure everything's okay. And there was this one notorious scene where the animators, <laughs> to see if they could catch him, put a yellow string from McCoy staring at a pond in the, um, the <laughs> shore leaves, and it looks like he's peeing and Fred actually <laughs> it and said, uh, you might want to take a look at this. And they did it on purpose, but he didn't yeah. catch it the first time. Imagine that if that made it to TV. <laughs> Granted, 1970s, 13 inch black and white, you might not have yeah. caught it. But when those DVDs came out, that would oh, yeah. have been something. Or even the laser discs. They were the fir- it was the first series to be completely released on a video of format wow. of some kind. So it was yeah, like you can still get like the laser disc. It's really cool looking. That's fun. I, yeah, I, I had no idea. I remember the VHSs that were hard to yeah. find when I was looking for them. But like, uh, I had no idea it came out on laser. And then what? Two thousand five, I think, is when the DVD came out. It was a really cool DVD. case, and that's one of my favorite Star Trek cases that they've done the media with. It just looks. It looks techy and it's kind of cool. It does, yeah. Uh, and the Blu-ray set's very nice too. They have like the yeah. kind of postcard uh, posters of each of the mm-hmm. episodes, which is great. Um, you know, speaking of the the limitless limitations of the animated series <laughs> in, in many ways, um, <laughs> one thing we wanted to talk about on on this panel uh, was be kind of our our favorite aliens that were uh, premiered or, or continued in the animated format. Um, but I know, uh, Aaron, I think you have like a little, uh, show and tell thing to show us. Here oh yeah. Talk about one of the like, aliens uh, that, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Please, please go, ahead. go ahead. No, one of the aliens that I really liked is the Dramians or Draymond, depending on where in the script they say it. Uh, <laughs> and they sort of look like 
super jacked giant Ferengi. They like they have like this very similar head shape and stuff like that. I feel like they were maybe as a species related at one time and then just separated over time. But I have this big board and this is this is what it actually looks like when it was finished. And then it's just a bunch of iterations of like what they did to. I can't even say that, to, to build that <laughs> that's so, amazing. So that we're first seeing one is like really weird. Yeah, we're seeing like the evolution of of the character design as it's um, uh, progresses from initial sketch to kind of a, a finished form. Mm -hmm. um, it's on a giant board and very unwieldy. <laughs> <laughs> but it looked like the original, the first sketch was had multiple legs and uh, kind of almost like a centipede. Yeah. But then it pops up into yeah. more of a, uh, I don't know, maybe a. Uh, ferret it's almost like the evolution of, of man drawing in some way. That's amazing. And as I recall, too, the creatures were very tall in the in the episode. Yeah, what, seven feet they? tall. You, if you watch, uh, one of the characters has to duck down in the uh, the um, door going through the the corridor on the Enterprise. Yeah, which is so, something fun of the animated series too. Is you could have creatures that were really tall or really really yeah. short, or you know any number of different designs because you could do whatever right yeah, that would have been so much more fun to write the aliens now. as as pretty much anything in the universe as opposed to something that you could make up for a person you yeah. know or very primitive yeah. cgi like a species 8472 oh yeah but <laughs> uh yeah but it would have been great to be able to have a seven foot tall alien but lisa um, what was, 8472 what was, uh, has legs kind of like eric's actually <laughs> it does yeah the three appendages Lisa, I'm always curious though. Like, what's what uh, of the Trek aliens you've written for? Uh, what's 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 your personal favorite? Well, I think I have a soft spot for Vulcans, yeah. um, because I kind of aspire to be a Vulcan myself, <laughs> and so uh, and, and it was always really fun to write for Tuvok um, because because he was so because it was so subtle. You know, it wasn't like over the top dramatic. You know, and and like big broad emotions. It was always. You know what? What is he not saying? You yeah. know what? What emotion yeah. would he be feeling? You know if he would allow himself. And yeah. I always find that an interesting challenge to write for. Lisa, Which is... what did you think about writing for him? As it, I always thought it was interesting that he was the security chief on the ship because I mm -hmm. never would have thought like a Vulcan as a security chief. And I thought that was a really cool sort of dichotomy. So how did you like writing that? I, I really like that because because he was so different from Worf, for example. You know, this was somebody who did not did not want to fight. You know who would who would really much rather talk through differences and and come to a nice logical solution, you know. But then when they were attacked, you know, by by some other alien, and he had to you know spring forward. You know, Vulcans are stronger than people, and you know, he would be very effective, you know, in that he wouldn't be feeling fear, he wouldn't be battling you know disgust or, or terror or anything like that. It would just be you know what's the most effective way to to defend ourselves. All right, and I know this is not a Voyager podcast, but I have to ask one more question. Tuvix, yes? No. <laughs> no, no. I think Jane, we did the right thing. <laughs> that, that is my official position. I'm to the point where it's like, I wish that episode never existed, not because I didn't like the episode, because I just never want to hear that, that conversation again. <laughs> I got to be honest. I, I agree with you, Lisa. Pot, so I love throwing it out there. <laughs> Because you could go either way, honestly. So it's just so much fun to just like, yeah. you know, I just throw a smoke grenade into the room and then run out and then just watch yep. everybody. <laughs> Peter, what was your favorite alien from the animated show? You know, um, I also like the Dramians. They're they're great. Um, I uh, I love. I love the triple killer. I just find that the glomer. glomer. Yeah, the glomer was yeah, so the glomer, yeah. Look. That, uh, <laughs> amazing. There it is. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Oh god. The stuff. I glomer. need to get that. Where did you find yeah, that? Like, I really I need to uh those. Amazon at the time. Amazon. It might oh, I don't know if god. they're still making them, but I would I would check there or yeah, that's a good size. That's a solid yeah. solid. And it's got like a little uh a pink triple inside of it you can take out. Oh, so. oh my god, <laughs> that's so cool. Um, well, you know, we talk about animation and, you know, the triple episode, I mean, they didn't really do anything. So now the animated episode, you can have a glomer go after the tribbles. That's not something they could have done in the animated show. I mean, yeah. unless you're going to dress up a dog like they did in the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I forget, I forget what episode it was. <laughs> oh, oh and, no, yeah. Enemy Within. Yeah. Enemy Within mm -hmm. when he uh, split personality because it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah <laughs> um rich how about for you like what's uh what's your favorite oh man you know there's so many cool ones i, I gotta be honest with you um uh, it's hard to narrow them down the philosians are awesome are i love them the Vendorians are pretty cool too. Vendorians are awesome. I mean, that's yeah. our first shapeshifter. Yeah. Um, and that's a great, another great story about Star Trek where, you know, they're not judging that appearance. They're, uh, you know, judging the, the worth of the individual. Yeah, um, but I this think is a, kind of a, for the listeners, that's like the squid looking alien that is still like able to shapeshift into uh, anyone you want. And, and uh, which is just or really a table. Cool. <laughs> or table yes hey, there's a was that a second bio bed there i mean i don't remember seeing that there um but i think at that the line end, should got it to mccoy by the way <laughs> or to yeah. spock one of the two not to kirk 100 um i really like the kazinti um i know it's a yeah. little maybe her heretical just because it was you know not technically an original star trek um alien but that episode was awesome the, those characters were were awesome um the way Spock manipulated this situation. And um, I just thought that they were really cool. I just, I really enjoyed seeing them. It's a shame we we didn't get any more Kazinti episodes because I think that would have been awesome. Like the Kazinti human war would have been. On the Enterprise? Really cool. yeah. yeah. That's, uh, yeah, cool. yeah I, I agree. And I, uh, it's also the only Star Trek episode of the original series that doesn't feature Kirk. Um, yep. Yeah. And which is, I think is fun. And I think it's uh it, it really is a good episode for Sulu. I think that's a great episode for him. And, uh, and yeah, and Uhura too, just and like, Uhura, the, yeah. you know, because like she has to play dumb essentially. And then she's just like, yeah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, um, I guess as we're getting near to the end of the end of the hour here, we should start wrapping things up. But um, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's new for you guys? What's on the horizon? What's uh, coming down the pipe? Aaron, you can go ahead with this okay. first. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a comic book cover from IDW coming out next month for Strange nice. New Worlds. Uh, I've got something else I can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of like, what else do I have? I think that's right now. I think that's it. I, I'm doing a couple other comic book covers for, for um, the new um, show, the, or the Echoes, the one that just came out that's set in the motion picture era. So yeah. I'm doing one there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading I'm, that. Comic. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to that, that one. Um, it is interesting. Um, so yeah, I think that, that for right now, that's it, that's it right now that I can say. Awesome. You know, for me, it's it's weird. Um, it's really what what inspiration I find. Um, and I I did have a, a pitch I was working on. Um, I was really excited about. It. I guess I can talk about it now. It doesn't really matter. Um, on the Rocketeer, Dave Stevens and the Rocketeer. Oh, yeah. um, That's awesome. And I was, you know, compiling, uh, I was researching, compiling interviews. Um, and it was this really great thing because a lot of the, the comic magazines from back in the day, Comics Journal, Back Issue, instead of writing stories, they just um, wrote the transcripts of these interviews with Dave. And, and they were awesome. And his sister... Um, finally um, created Rocketeer Trust and started getting out in public. And I reached out to her and I was like, all excited. I'm like, this is it. I get, I, I talked to her and, and I can, I can get this book going. I can pitch it and, you know, get it made. Um, and I, I thought it would be, you know, something that was really special. And um, she couldn't do the interview because they already had projects in place. She said it would be a conflict of interest. Oh, and nice. I was, I was so distraught. I was downtrodden. Yeah. I was just like so excited, but you know, yeah. I understood the marketplace would not, would not, um, could not afford to do two, two books in Rocketeer. And it turns yeah. out some of the research that I found was um, they did a comic last year called The Great Race, and they mm-hmm. um, committed six to eight pages in the back telling these stories. So it was really cool that a lot of that information is out there that I was sort of, ex- I was glad that it's out there. Um, I think I may try to pitch it to one of the um, tomorrow's publishing, uh, they do comic uh, publications, what wasn't out there, but that was really it. I'm actually looking at a couple sports things now, but I, I'm not really like pigeonholed into one one genre or anything like that. Um, um, I, I started out my career in college athletics, my writing career. So um, going back to that a little bit now and just seeing what sticks, it, at least in Peter, you guys know, especially in, and obviously Aaron and I know from our, from our book, it's 
you pitch what's going to sell. So you don't want to put yeah. too much work into something. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to get that pitch idea. Um, but taking um, the lessons from what Aaron and I did to produce the animated series book, I wanted to do a little bit of that for the Rocketeer book just because it was such a cool character. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, that's the difficult I would have loved to have designed part. that too. <laughs> that been well, I, I mean, you were, I was looking to do a cover. <laughs> You're the call. Trust me, you were the call. I told my wife, I said, Aaron's got to do this cover. I love the rock. I was, uh, I was really excited um, about the uh, potential for everything with it. Um, but, you know, it just didn't happen. So it's, you know, you move on. Um, and I, at least in Peter, you guys probably know that really well as um, also. Um, but that's, and then that's really it. So it's, I wish I had more to talk about in regards to that. Um, I just don't, you know, it was just, I mean, if, if at the end of the day, the only, the only book I ever published or ever worked on is the animated series book. I got to do something that was really special. I got to work with somebody that was really special and talented. Um, you know, I, I think at the time Aaron and I were like, yeah, but, was, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was just, you know, it was, it was the stress of having four months to produce it and things like yeah. that. And, yeah. um, but looking back on it now, it was such a, so like I said, you know, I got to be, I got to contribute a little piece to this franchise that I adore. Yeah. Um, well, and lower decks told that they, they used the book as like the, as the, as the reference for TAS. So. Oh yeah. That's, which is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which Mike McMahon came up to me like during a premiere. It's like, Oh, I, I say, bring me the book. And they bring <laughs> like, that's really cool. So yeah, that was yeah. amazing. That's the greatest compliment. Um, yeah. You yeah. Know, in, in my mind. So yeah, it's uh, it was a pretty unique opportunity and I feel very um, fortunate, lucky and blessed. And, you know, Kevin Toyama, I, I said his name earlier. I really wish um, when Weldon Owen got sold, he ended up um, being laid off. And our new editor yeah. was really sweet and very nice. But, you know, Kevin would have been a partner on the book. And I think, yeah, I think, Aaron, we probably would have, as good as it was, as good as people think it was, I think it could have been 100 times better in that regard. Yeah. And, you know, he had a real passion for the animated series. I was going to say, yeah, he, he would have lobbied for us to get either more book pages or something, you know, it's like, yeah. And, and Mike Johnson. I mean, I remember calling Mike. We can't, yeah. He's, Mike, he's the one who actually pitched it to John Van Sitter. So I think yeah. he, you know, or, or helped with that. So Mike would go into John's office and say, I want to read this book. We got to make this book. I mean, yeah. so he, even before he had the pitch in his hand, he knew about it, which was awesome. So they were they were really the two people um, yeah. that, you know, I really appreciated, you know, getting to that point. Um yeah. Oh, that's amazing. We uh we are just about out of time here. I wanted to give you guys a chance to throw out any uh socials you wanna you wanna promote or uh, and also tell tell the audience where they can pick up the book. Uh, you can pick up the book. Hopefully, if you can try and find it at your local comic book shop or something, just support them. But you can get it on Amazon, Walmart, Target. I think are the three big ones. Um, but uh, you can find me at Geek Filter on Instagram and Twitter while Twitter's still there. Uh, and uh, I am eventually rebooting my podcast, Drawn to Trek, which is an animated series podcast or animated Star Trek podcast. So that's coming back. I just don't know exactly when. Awesome. Um, I'm not really on social media. Uh, so I you're probably the smart one. Rich is, yeah, exactly. Rich is the smart one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was funny because I was off it when we wrote the book, before we wrote the book. I came back on after the book was released, but not because of the book. And then, yeah, I, I got out again. It's just, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a, it's a place. It's a place. That's all we can say about it. But I if, did uh, find, I did see our book in the wild though. I was so happy. Barnes and Noble was sitting there. So that was pretty that's cool. Nice. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Somebody sent us a picture of it in Thailand in a bookstore. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, for my money, I mean, it's a fantastic book and, and, Based on what I've heard today, I would, I would I would hope that maybe we can get a second edition one day and double the size and uh, get some more in there because that'd be fantastic. That'd be great. Um, so for uh, audience out there, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Um, thank you to the Virtual Trek Con again for inviting us to be part of the part of the show. Um, if you'd like to uh, get in touch with us, our podcast again is the Trexperts Briefing Room. Um, ordinarily, we do like commentaries for specific episodes. We just did one that was fantastic about the uh, season three premiere of uh, Star Trek uh, uh, Picard, um, uh, which was a lot of fun with with author Ryan Britt. Um, and we do a biweekly schedule where we have uh, 
uh, often most of the time screenwriters, but we'll also have um, uh, experts in the field, actors, um, and uh, anyone who, you know, all sorts of Star Trek awesomeness happens over at the briefing room. Um, our our uh, Twitter feed is uh, TrekspertsBR, if you'd like to connect with us on there. And we're also on Instagram at uh, just search the Trexperts briefing room. And we're part of the uh, Inglorious Trexperts podcast uh, network, I suppose. Um, and want to thank uh, Mark A. Altman and uh, Darren Dockman for that. Um, and uh, again, thank you for the virtual trek on. So uh, I suppose for uh, Lisa Clink and myself, we'll say thank you very much for being here. And until next time, the briefing room is now closed. Scott, what do you repeat what you just told us? About an hour ago, bridge control started going crazy. Levers shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed, instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened, as if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement.